0: Greetings friends, you are tuned into We Own This Town Music, the podcast for showcasing new and notable music from Nashville and surrounding areas. I'm your host Michael Eads, and this is volume 240. This show is part of We Own This Town, a podcast network focused on entertainment and documentary content brought to you by Nashvilleians. Look us up at weownthistown.net and follow us at weownthistown on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and get updates about all the latest episodes from every show across the network. we got a mailing list over on weownthistown.net. And you will get a weekly reminder about all of our releases if you sign it, or you could just subscribe to our shows in your favorite podcast app. That's maybe a little easier, but hey, I love sending the weekly email summary. So I'm going to highly recommend you subscribe. I've said it before on previous episodes. I'm going to keep saying it at the top of every episode. If we can grow this thing, we can keep doing it. So please get some mailing list subscriptions in there. Get some podcast subscriptions going much appreciated. If you need to get in touch about anything We Own This Town related, shoot us a DM on Instagram or Twitter, or just reach me directly at Michael at weownthistown.net. This week on the show, as you might've gleaned from the episode title, we sit down with musician Michael Hicks to discuss the collaborative project, the Nashville Ambient Ensemble. What's the Nashville Ambient Ensemble, you ask? Well, quite simply, it's a group of seven musicians from a range of diverse styles brought together to record an album entitled Cerulean, due out on Centripetal Force Records on Friday, March 19th. You can pre-order it from Grimey's or over on Bandcamp. Both are linked in the episode description. Obviously, if you're in the Nashville area, hit up that Grimies link. If you're anywhere else, hit up the Bandcamp link. Both will get you the record, but we love to support the local record store. If you've ever heard the names Diatome Deli, Belly Full of Stars, Jack Silverman, Luke Schneider, Timon Capel, or Synthesis, well, then you're already familiar with some of the great talent involved with the Nashville Ambient Ensemble. I'm not gonna spend too much time setting up this interview, but I just wanna say that I'm really appreciative that Hicks was able to take the time to speak with me about his background, how the project came together, and talk through a playlist of tracks from each of the musicians that appear on Cerulean. I think you're gonna love the interview. So without much further ado, let's get into it. Well, thank you so much for joining me today and talking about uh, the Nashville Ambient Ensemble and all of the things involved with that. I am very happy to have you here and extremely excited for this record.
1: Thank you so much for having me, and I really appreciate your enthusiasm about it, and taking the time to talk to me about the music.
0: Yeah, yeah, we were just talking right before the start of the episode about some parties in Nashville and Buddytown and uh, going to La Peep, and, and that makes me wonder, what is your relationship with Nashville? Like, are you a long timer? Have you been here for a really long time? Like, what's what's your history with the city?
1: Well, I, I was around for the golden age of, of Buddy Town, <laughs> And uh, I remember those parties, it was a lot of fun. Uh, but my relationship with Nashville started, uh, I went to college at Belmont. So I started at Belmont in 2003. So I've been around Nashville or felt like Nashville was home for almost 20 years. Yeah. I, guess. Yeah. I had a stint starting in 2011 when I moved to, uh, after college, moved to New York. And uh, I lived in New York uh for almost eight years before coming back to Nashville.
0: Nice. Uh,
1: yeah, I've been back in Nashville for two years, and uh, it's really great to be back.
0: Do you know who Tracy Moore is, it's journalist Tracy Moore? She like used to write for the scene all the time, and she like helped start the cream. She's, oh, yeah. she uh I saw a tweet from her the other day that said, anytime I've known someone that lived in New York, they've always lived there for eight years. <laughs> never, never more. So, uh, that's
1: hilarious. Yeah, it, it may be the perfect amount of time to go through the process of, oh, I'm living my dreams. This is the best place ever. I'll never leave. And then, <laughs> Yeah, just working through that whole process. Yeah,
0: I mean, if you're post college living in New York, that's a great time to live in New York. That's like really prime yeah, time.
1: I, for you know, there's definitely a contingent of people there for whom it is a like post college thing. Yeah, and it it definitely was for me for a, at least a little while. But yeah, that's really funny. That does seem to be a good, solid number.
0: Yeah, I I had a short stint there. Uh, I did not make it eight years, unfortunately. I only had, I think, four years in me. But uh, it was wonderful. Uh, New York's great. If you're uh, able to live there, living there was very cool. Um, But I also think Nashville's a cool place to live. Obviously, came back. So did you. Right. Something about it.
1: Right. New York was incredible, and uh, I look back very fondly on that time, but the, it came to an end, and, and now I'm really glad to be back in Nashville. It's changed, at least I think it's changed a lot since I left in 2011. For sure. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's I love it here.
0: So what what is your relationship with music in general? Like, did you go to Belmont for music? Were you a musician or a musically minded kid? Obviously, if you're involved in the Ambient Ensemble, we'll get there. There is something Mm -hmm. musical happening. But where did you kind of start?
1: Yeah. Well, with music, it goes all the way back to just being a kid. When I was starting, I guess when I was around two or three, my dad kind of got into the trying to get into the country music world and he started working with a, a producer in nashville and would i think come to nashville on a weekly or at least a monthly basis recording demos writing songs and all of that and he was really into it for a few years and so some of my earliest memories were my dad leaving to go to Music Row and write wow. some song. When I got old enough, I would go with my dad to the studio where he was recording his demos. So that left a huge impression on me. Oh, I'm sure. He didn't end up becoming a country music artist, but he is extremely talented and amazing singer. The experience of kind of looking up to him and what he was doing with country music in Nashville and then just generally his influence with music was definitely a really big one
0: as a kid to go to like a pro recording studio i my mind would be blown by the number of knobs oh, available it, you know for,
1: yeah it was for sure mind-blowing uh, <laughs> to be in this and you know th- this was like in the age where the big recording studios of Music Row were still like thriving like going strong yeah you know? So yeah, just, I was like, I don't know, eight years old or something. And just sitting on the couch in the control room alone with this recording engineer, like behind this giant console. And then my dad's like in this live room singing with these musicians who are just insanely talented. Yeah, Yeah, that was mind blowing for sure. And I I was just like, I want to do that, you know, when when I'm older.
0: So did that lead you to like get a guitar or get a keyboard or like where, how did that lead you into actual music?
1: i took like piano lessons when i was really young but it it really started when i was 12 and i got a guitar and yeah I, i became obsessed with with guitar for sure nice and i think honestly i think i think that's how i got interested in belmont because i think coming home from the studio with my dad one day we drove by Belmont, and he said, "Oh yeah, that's like a really good music school." And I think I just tucked that away in the back of my mind. <laughs>
0: yeah. So, did you go to Belmont for music, or was it just a, a presence in your life while you were in college?
1: Yeah, I did. I I started at Belmont as a music business major, and I took a couple of the business classes because it was it was the degree is pretty heavy on business. I took. Couple of those business classes, and was like, Oh, this is not for me. And looking back, I wish I would have stuck with it because I think the whole degree would have been really helpful. But yeah, I, I sh- shifted gears and hopefully not to open a can of worms, but I ended up uh, studying religion at Belmont. And then I did a master's degree in religion at Vanderbilt after
0: that. I, I don't know why that would open a can of worms. But, <laughs> but I, I'm not invested in what you graduated in. That's fine by me, you know?
1: No. So at Belmont, you had you were required to take like two yep. religion courses or some kind of spirituality courses. And uh, at the time, I was trying to figure out, well, I don't, I don't want to do a music business degree. So I was trying to figure out what to major in. And I took this old testament class and it was like fascinating because it was it was looking at these texts in a way that i had never experienced before mm-hmm. and it you know it was all about like inquiry and questioning and you know all these different methods of looking at the texts that were very new to me so i decided i wanted to do that and that was immensely beneficial in in many ways but yeah, that's what I ended up studying.
0: Yeah. You know, I went to MTSU. One of the most popular majors there was the recording industry program, either in the studio or music business. And I just can't help but think if, you know, I graduated college in 2001, the lessons learned then versus what the music industry is now is just Absurd. I mean, there's still royalties and, and, and like all of the basics are still there, yeah. but it's a, just a different ball game, you know. Like the music right. industry has changed. It's, even from 2011, is that when you said you graduated?
1: I graduated in 2007.
0: 2007 to now, like
1: right. it's, different different universe. It's a
0: totally different universe. So yeah, you might have gotten something out of it uh, that would be beneficial in regards to like what you're doing musically now, but also you might have just had to relearn it all anyway.
1: Yeah. Yeah, this is this is this is a good point. And just when it comes to like my music and and what I have been doing with music, honestly, a lot of what I studied in the religion department at Belmont and Vanderbilt influenced what kind of music I wanted to make and the uses that I have in mind for what I want my music to be used for. I was reading this like jazz composition theory book. I can't remember the author. this was a few years ago. but the author was saying like performers should study like, I, I don't know, music theory and like technique and these very these very technical aspects of music. But he said the composers, while those elements are still important, they also need to study like the humanities, literature, history, religion. So I, I I believe that. I think that's very important. And so in that way, I'm kind of glad that I ended up studying
0: oh, religion. Oh, for sure. That's extremely poignant. That's an incredible statement to make. And that's a, a heavy thing to bring with you as a, a songwriter in general, for sure. Mm-hmm. Like if your job is just to go in the studio and play bass, by all means be as technically proficient as possible. But if you're composing and writing songs... I completely agree with that. That's really, that's a fantastic statement. Love it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You have to, you have to be in touch Yeah, with like the the more, the human heart element of music, I guess.
0: So does, does studying religion or spirituality, does that directly lead to an interest in ambient music or just more general like classical composition you're talking about what is the, what do I want the intent of my music to be? How do I want my music to be used is, is the answer to that question. I need to make something that's more atmospheric and more ambient and more free flowing. Is that a direct response or did you get into ambient music because like someone had a really awesome keyboard and it changed? Yeah.
1: You? <laughs> well, I, I guess it's a little bit of both because I for sure had discovered a couple, a few albums over time and been to a few performances where I was like, Oh, what, like, what are they using? I, I need to know what is going on here. Yeah. yeah on the other side, in terms of religion or spirituality directly influencing the kind of music I want to make. Um, I think it's easiest for me to describe what is most valuable for me in, in music that I listen to, like the music I really love the most, like Desert Island kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And that is music where I can't do anything else while I'm listening to it. Like an example for me is Arvo Pärt, the Estonian composer. I have to like sit down and listen to his music. It just seems to demand that. But I go to his music and and other types of music for sort of like a, I don't know, it sounds kind of cheesy, but like a sacred space. We all need, whether it's like spiritual or secular or whatever, we all need a space where we can step away from the noise of our daily life and just like recollect, you know, remember who who we are and sort of reset. That's like the highest, the thing that I I need the most that I get from music. So I have more and more tried to make the, the music that I make be of
0: that sort. Uh, I totally agree. A sacred space is an important thing to have, however you get there, you know, uh, and that's definitely not a s- spiritual comment or religious comment. A sacred space is a sacred space. It doesn't matter. Right. So. Yeah. so how do you get into ambient music? I guess that's just the most straightforward yeah. way to say it. Like w- when you were in college and making music or when you were in New York and you're deciding to make music, is that the genre that you're most drawn to at first or were you like in indie rock bands and slowly made your way over there
1: yeah the biggest eye opener or watershed type of thing for me was when i first heard william basinski's the disintegration loops Mm. i remember I, i was at belmont and uh i think i like read the pitchfork review of it and this was like in 2003 or 2004 and wow when i heard the disintegration loops i have for sure never heard anything like that I didn't know that music existed like that or that it was possible to make something like that. It just completely, massively expanded what I thought was what could be possible with music. Mm -hmm. So that sent me down like a big rabbit hole. I bought like everything that William Basinski had at the time. It was awesome too, because at the time he hadn't reached that level of fame that he has now. And I think you literally had to, like, email him and tell him what you wanted. And he would email you this really personal, like, note back, like, thank you so much. And I was just amazed by him. Both his music, which is incredible, but also what a seemingly, genuinely good person he was. So, anyway, he was a major influence on me. And was was honestly a big reason why I wanted to move to New York, because... He of course like had this amazing iconic Brooklyn story of living in Williamsburg in the 80s, which a very different Williamsburg, sure. is not yeah. what it is now. And he had this loft there where he would have these incredible parties, and I know like Anna and I was a big part of that, and like Avendra Bonhart, Coco Rosie, and all of these artists. We're experimenting there. Anyway, as you can tell, I really love William Basinski. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, major influence. Uh, when I got to New York, I remember going to a show at the Stone on Houston Street in, in the Lower East Side. And uh, it was a duo performance of Riwichi Sakamoto and Taylor Dupree. And Sakamoto was just playing, like, I think a grand piano. And uh, Taylor Dupree had all these synthesizers. And I think he, like, a modular synthesizer, maybe. But um, that show, I was amazed by. And I didn't have any synthesizers. At, and after that show, I was like, oh, i got to figure out what Taylor, i got to figure out what was going on in that performance. Yeah. And I, I remember I emailed him and just asked him, like, Please let me know (laughs) what you're doing. And yeah, that fueled my deep dive into synthesizers.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. The disintegration loops, uh, I had a very, very similar experience and impact with hearing that and just... I mean, it put me in that sacred space that you mentioned, just like, I have to listen to this. And I know that it's not a long loop, but it is, there's something just transformative about listening to it. It's just mesmerizing.
1: Yeah. You like participate in the process of the music decaying and it has this really profound effect, I think.
0: Yeah. And I think the fact that it it is literally disintegrating uh, as part of the recording is like it's a kind of a one time only thing. Like you can't recreate that ever again specifically like that. Like you can do the thing again that you can go through the steps to get there, but it's never going to be the same twice. Which, right. you know, I think getting into the, the ambient world, there's a lot of improvisation involved with with that. And I think Pazinski and, and specifically speaking, that is a, a recording as it were, that's disintegrating But So it's maybe not as applicable, but I think with ambient music, a lot of times there is a lot of making it up as you go. Like you've got a vibe, but, or maybe that is very specific to what you're doing with the Nashville Ambient Ensemble, or you have yeah. gathered together a group of other like-minded though not it's not one-to-one everyone's in the same world but very distinct in what they do and everyone is very much open to improvisation and sort of making it up as they go along a certain vibe I'm not sure exactly what i'm getting at here except that i can see the through line from basinski to yeah. to nashville ambient ensemble yeah. so how you move back to nashville when does the process start that you start connecting with these other musicians that are sort of in this same world that are part of the ensemble? Like, I don't know if you consider yourself the, the leader or founder or, or what the hierarchy.
1: I call myself the administrative assistant.
0: Okay. So not a, not a strong hierarchy there. Everyone's sort (laughs) of on the same level. But you come back to Nashville, and and how do you start meeting those people? Like, does that happen naturally? You already knew some of them, or?
1: A couple of them. uh, One of them was a a friend from my initial stint in Nashville, and uh, another was an acquaintance. The rest I met since I came back. Nice. Uh, in at the end of twenty eighteen. So yeah, uh initially when I moved back to Nashville, my, my wife and I uh when we moved here, my our son was one and uh at that point I had very little time to make new music. <laughs> sure. And actually and and actually I was trying to get into DJing. Okay. Because I was like, Well, I don't have time to make music and i'm missing this like amazing house techno music that i used to be exposed to in new york i'm going to bring some of this to nashville and i failed miserably with that <laughs> people were like no we don't play that here <laughs> like i tried to contact some bars and they're just like no it doesn't house music doesn't work at this bar mm. but anyway the ensemble kind of just happened as i was trying to become a dj i played a show at the beginning of 2019 with Delhi Delhi Palomasisk or Diatom Deli, mm-hmm. uh, who we we had connected through social media. I, I didn't know her previously. We played a show at the beginning of 2019, and I was extremely impressed with her music. And we kind of hit it off, and we played shows, a lot of shows after that, and we're already starting to collaborate a little bit. But anyway, at that show, Timon. Capel who plays guitar on the album was a friend of mine came up and said that we should collaborate or get together and jam sometime. And then I also met Jack Silverman that night plays electric guitar on the album. And he also suggested that we should collaborate. And then like over the next couple of months, I just noticed a lot of people wanted to like get together and jam. And then it made me remember What's so amazing about making music in Nashville, and that is it's an extremely collaborative place to make music. Yeah, People want to make music together. And even if you're not recording like an album, they just want to go over to somebody's house and just jam on Friday night. And that was something that I had completely wandered away from in New York Where I think just logistically, it's much harder to get some people together and play music, just the space constraints and stuff. But also I found that the scene that I was trying to get into there was very focused on a solo music practice. I had people that I was in touch with, but it was more like, hey, listen to my new music and tell me what you think about it (laughs) instead of like, let's play some music together right anyway i kind of got off on that but what i was trying to say was that uh as people just I, as, as i started to realize and remember what's so special about making music in nashville i really had a strong desire to create a, an ensemble and i got together with Timon in in like april of 2019 and we jammed a little bit uh we were really happy about the sounds that were coming out and i think i think that night we were like let's let's try this like so-called ambient ensemble idea and after that it just it it happened really organically and, and really quickly
0: you recorded at battle tapes right with jeremy ferguson the, that's right the album yep. had you like brought the the justice league together prior to recording or was it sort of like okay we all sort of know each other here and there let's just go and do this or ha- was there practices and and composition sessions yeah. and all that sort of prior
1: yeah at, Uh, Yeah. And quickly, I want to note that I had um, I had experience with like an ensemble setup previously back in like 2007, 2008. I had a band in Nashville that was kind of a part of like the post-rock world called the Bird Ensemble. Mm. And um, that was kind of a model for what I did with the ambient ensemble where we get all together in a live room in a studio and record everything live like no overdubs that's what we did with bird ensemble and i really love making music that way and i've always kind of wanted to get back to that so anyway that was that was uh,
0: so you had prior uh, experience uh, too you had like a shell that you were working with that you knew would work
1: but to answer your question it came together very quickly but we we did um we did two full band rehearsals leading right up to the sessions. And then we went in and did the recording sessions, uh, which were uh, like, yeah, two days at
0: battle tapes. Nice. Well, I have a playlist that you have provided me with that I believe is from one song from each member of the ensemble. And it would yeah. be cool to sort of just listen to that, let the audience hear the song, and then you kind of tell me a little bit about each person, because I think this the ensemble is really impressive. It's a, a very diverse crowd of yeah music makers, you know? Like, They're
1: amazing, amazing people, amazing musicians, and I feel very lucky and honored that they were up for this weird project and that, that, yeah, they contributed their talents to it.
0: I'll just read them off quickly so everyone knows who's involved with the ambient ensemble diatome Deli, and her real name is delhi paloma kim ruger who performs as belly full of stars jack silverman luke schneider we have yourself michael hicks we have cynthia cardenas and timon capel who we have mentioned several times as well so that's the whole ensemble right that's the group yeah that's a good group of folks it's a really good group of folks so yeah, let's just dive into this first track that you've outlined here uh, from Diatome Delhi, and then we'll talk about it on the other side. Sure. So we just heard Diatome Deli with "Sonrisa" Risa from My Body Tis of the uh, mixtape off of Centripetal Force, the same label that's putting out the Nashville Ambient Ensemble record. What can you tell me about uh, about Diatome Deli?
1: Yeah, that's that's a beautiful song. And uh, I, yeah, I, I love Deli's music. Honestly, she's just one of my favorite artists, period. And I've had the pleasure of working with her on on some of her new music which is just fantastic so yeah i i love delhi's music i met delhi as i mentioned earlier we connected on social media and played a so a show together in january 2019 and then from there we we just stayed in touch we played uh, some other shows together and then i think like by about august of 2019 i was going full force with the ensemble idea and I actually initially asked her I was looking for a, a pianist, asked her if she played piano, and uh, she was like, "Well, not really, but uh, you know I do vocals and I, I actually wasn't even thinking of having vocals in the ensemble right. but i really I really wanted uh Delhi to be a part of it and First of all, I knew that it would sound amazing if she sang on the album. Right. So that was not, uh, I didn't really have to deliberate on that. But other than that, I just wanted her to be a part of it. Yeah, I, I kind of took like the approach of I would just ask who I wanted to ask to be in the project. And depending on what they wanted to play, I would then figure out how it was going to work, like with the arrangements and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of cool happen
0: with deli that's cool I, I saw her play and it was absolutely fascinating to watch her build a song live just right, like yeah. from these loops and pedals and just all of the gadgets and gears that i am not aware of what they are yeah
1: yeah her live show is really fantastic she does something very particular in her shows that she doesn't do in her in her recorded music Mm -hmm. and that is yeah like as you said uh she sort of she usually does like three or four pieces in a set and just builds these sounds as she goes like with and and effects and uh, she also has some amazing visuals usually from her partner marcus and yeah it's a pretty pretty excellent live show for sure
0: yeah so she does contribute vocals on the record uh but in her own unique way would you say
1: for sure yeah 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 um and she did uh exactly what i would have wanted and way better than that (laughs) Uh, i remember we met one-on-one like before the main rehearsals we just sat down and i didn't even say anything i was like well let's just let's just try this first piece and see what happens and after we we played for a couple minutes and i was like well that's perfect so let's just move let's just move on to the next one and all of them were like that we are just really on the same wavelength creatively yeah and she was just right in the pocket every time amazing
0: incredible all right well let's uh let's listen to the next track we this is going to be belly full of stars with pattern three All right that was belly full of stars with pattern three off of the album aura i believe that is out on triplicate records
1: yes i think that's right
0: yeah and it's a six track album all of all of the tracks are pattern one pattern two pattern three pattern four five pattern six and uh i think as you just heard there is a very meditative quality to it um mm-hmm. which i very much appreciate i think sort of the a, maybe a nod to the basinski loops in, in a way in the way that was, it builds yeah, yeah
1: there's a little bit of that there for sure i i think it's a beautiful piece of music yeah when you hear that you definitely want to stop whatever else you're doing and just sit down and enjoy it 100%. yeah really beautiful and um i think like similar to basinski's music kim's music it has a lot of heart in it you know like really has like that emotional depth to it it's not just it's not just sounds there's there's more there do you know what i mean
0: yeah yeah it has that uh what we were talking about with like the humanity like exactly it's a composition that understands and sort of evokes a humanity in its way which i completely feel that for sure
1: yeah and and, you know you can't just train that quality to come out it's just like i don't know it that's kind of like an elusive thing yeah with, with music
0: Yeah, I mean, evoking human emotion is not easy. So, uh, kudos for her doing that. Yeah, very impressive.
1: Uh, Kim is so talented. She is an amazing composer. She does a lot of stuff with modular synthesizers and samplers. But when I was trying to get people involved with the project, she's also a wonderful piano player. Mm -hmm. And I saw her at a show one night, and I was trying to find someone who was really good on, on piano. And I asked her if she knew anyone, and uh, she was like, "Well, I play piano," <laughs> and so that was that was a done deal. Nice. I didn't even realize that she played piano, but she had some just really striking and uh, powerful solos on the album. She has a very particular style on piano that. To me, it's like similar to the pianist Bill Evans, like how Bill Evans plays on "Kind of Blue," the Miles Davis album, where like she doesn't play every single note that she could play. Mm-hmm. She's like selective about what notes she plays, and she's not just trying to fill in fill in space right. uh, with her solos. They're very like it's like a very determined concentrated quality
0: yeah that's interesting choosing what not to play seems almost harder than choosing what to play
1: yeah on some of her solos like the one that she does at the end of jack's piece on the album the cerulean track there are some parts where like she goes a few seconds without on her solo a few seconds without playing and it's just like it creates this tension where it's just like hanging yeah and uh i think that is a, a really that's really special
0: absolutely agree And that's a good transition into our next track, which is Jack Silverman with Mixed Signals. Oh,
1: perfect. I teed that up.
0: just heard jack silverman with mixed signals off of the forthcoming now what ep before we talk about it i do have to give my caveat of full transparency that that ep is coming out on yk records which is a small indie label that i operate so i did not pick this song to be included in this episode but i am promoting it and there is a bit of self-benefit to doing so so i just like to make sure that that's clear and transparent whenever i play an artist that i'm working with so it doesn't seem like
1: I I picked it I picked it because (laughs) I love it and I'm also so psyched that it is coming out on YK I think that is a really great fit a great label for a really great EP that Jack has made and yeah when I hear this song I just instantly smile it it just makes you feel so good especially like right now when it seems like spring is is around the corner and we're like seeing a faint glimmer of light at the end sure. of the COVID tunnel, maybe. Yeah. That piece is really great. Beautiful guitar patterns and sort of themes, I guess you would call them. Let's see. Is Kim, I can't remember if Kim is on that track or not, but Kim plays on the EP, Kim Ruger, who was also on the ensemble album.
0: I think she's only on the Cerulean version. So ja- on Jack's right. EP... Uh, Jack Silverman's EP. There is a version of Cerulean that's also on the Nashville Ambient Ensemble uh, records. So they are they're kind of symbiotic in an interesting way.
1: That's right. Uh, yeah, I love his EP. He is the the king of crime jazz. Jack is for sure. <laughs> but he's much more than that, and the music is much more than that too. It's very it's very beautiful. I'm so glad to have met Jack since moving back to Nashville. He's an incredible musician in my mind, one of the very best guitarists uh, in Nashville. So, yeah, I'm I'm very happy to be able to work with him and and just to have met him as well.
0: Yeah, I feel similarly. I'm not as close. I haven't recorded an album with him, but uh, I do enjoy what he's doing. And I think um, I'm really excited to hear his contributions to the, the Ambient Ensemble and see how his guitar playing, which is pretty diverse. I mean, he can play all kinds of different styles to see how that fits in to the record, especially amongst all of these other musicians and, and the styles yeah. that they bring.
1: One thing quickly that I've noticed with Jack's guitar playing is he always sounds incredibly relaxed when he's playing, even if he's playing something that's really fast or or, or intricate or complex. It always sounds like he's really relaxed. And I feel like that is so hard to convey on an instrument, but he's just like so loose and comfortable with the instrument that yeah. it really comes, comes through. Like sometimes when you hear guitar players, it's kind of like creates a little anxiety for me. Cause I can tell like, they're just trying, you know, hard to, to do something. But with Jack, it's always just like, so chill, even if he's like doing a crazy run. I think that's something really unique that Jack has. I
0: think that's a very astute observation, and I think uh, you know, with people that solo, particularly guitarists that solo, there's always a tenseness to it. Like they're squeezing yeah. it out into the yeah, world. That's,
1: that's what I'm. That's what I'm trying to get
0: at. Yeah, uh, and I, I, I agree. Obviously, I'm biased, but uh, I don't hear that with Jack. And I, <laughs> I, I think you, I think you put it very succinctly. That was very pleasant. All right, let's let's hear the next track. This is going to be Luke Schneider with Somnificus. Alright, that was Luke Schneider with Somnificus, our best guest at pronunciation from the album Altar of Harmony. I love that album so much. Uh, big fan of what Luke Thank Schneider you. does with his pedal steel and his looping. I mean, this is another artist that I saw, I believe, at Dark Matter play. And he just has this unbelievable live setup with this oh, l- yeah. light. Were you, were you at the Lamb Chop show? No, was I wasn't the at show? the Lamb Chop show. I, w- I saw a Stone Jack Jones play there, and he opened. Oh, cool. All right. And it was, mm-hmm. I mean, he has these lights behind him that are sort of responsive to the music that he's playing. And... He's he's got this setup that's like a whole, it's like an outfit almost. For sure,
1: yeah, he's got it all together. For <laughs> sure. That track, I think Luke describes that one and a couple of others on the album as like a palate cleanser. It sits in between a, a longer pieces. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that that whole album. Luke is actually someone uh, we were acquaintances when I lived in Nashville previously. But never really hung out. Uh, and I ran into him on a trip back to Nashville when I was trying to find a place to live to, so we could move back. And he was talking about like this I didn't even know he played pedal steel from when I knew him previously. Mm-hmm. But he was talking about like this pedal steel setup. He's making like ambient new age music with all these pedals, but like all the sound, even though it might not sound like it, is all coming from the pedal steel. And I was like, wait, what is going on here? Uh, and we we stayed in touch we started to really connect after I moved back and uh, I shared my music with him and uh, anyway, at some point he sent me his album and that was a huge influence for me because at the time I was really hyper focused on like being a solo musician. I was making like very ornately composed uh, pieces where everything was like you know written out and very focused on like, electronics synthesizers and like sequences and stuff mm-hmm. but when i listened to his music i was like oh i could i could really take a different approach uh and you know improvising more bringing in some other instrumentation all that to say that's a excellent excellent album and it was definitely an influence for me as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, no disservice to Luke. I'm a huge fan. I think he's an interesting musician to bring into the ensemble because the the pedal steel is a very distinctive sound. I mean, he has done something extremely unique with it that makes it not sound like that. But it's a really, uh, it's a texture and just instrumentation that you generally would not expect to find in something called an ambient ensemble, you know? Yeah. Really looking forward to hearing his uh, his contributions and how they appear throughout the record. Because having heard his solo record and seen him live, I know that it fits. It's just uh, it's just completely fascinating.
1: Well, he brings the heat on the album. I can tell you, it's, <laughs> it's, it's um, his his playing on the album is is more direct. He does use some effects, but it's more it's a little more of a dry sound than he he has some really excellent solos on the album for sure.
0: All right. Well, you want to go into the next track here? Yeah, sure. I believe in your track listing. Uh, This is Daniel Ellsworth and the Great Lakes with Follow Me Home.
2: My ear from out of time Nothing in between us but a mountain range. Now you're giving me those eyes and girl, I'm feeling strange. Whoa, whoa, whoa. you are
1: a smoking gun. Whoa, whoa, whoa. gone with the Set it on. Whoa, whoa, honey, tonight let's play. Ooh,
2: ooh, so, are you gonna follow me home? Oh. Are you gonna follow me home? Oh. Are you gonna follow me? Oh. got much to offer, but some cheap red wine I got some dust on the floor, it's a 45 An no turntable and an unmade bed Now you're lifting your shirt from
3: over your head
2: Oh, whoa, you are a
1: smoking gun Whoa, whoa Gone with the setting sun. Uh, oh, oh. Whoa, whoa,
2: honey, tonight let's play food told so, Are you gonna follow me home? Are you gonna follow me home? Are you gonna follow me? Home?
0: That was Daniel Ellsworth and the Great Lakes with Follow Me Home. Uh, Daniel Ellsworth is not in the Nashville Ambient Ensemble, but (laughs) Timon Capel is and is a member of Daniel Ellsworth. He's one of the Great Lakes, I assume.
1: He is one of the Great Lakes, I believe.
0: Yes. Of all the songs on this track listing that we're playing today, that one is the one that is the most of an outlier, I think. Tell me more about Timon and and what, what they're bringing here.
1: That's what I love about this group is we have people from all kinds of different music scenes, and we have people who bring really unique perspectives. And honestly, we have some uh, people who don't really listen to ambient music, m- maybe mm-hmm. or um, you know are just involved with with a, a different scene. But that's what, I, that's what I really love about this group. And it's not a, a requirement uh, for someone to be super into like this kind of music to be in the group. And just a quick aside, I think like when we were starting to put this project together and just to talk about it, people thought like, oh, you're going to get like a bunch of people in the same room all on a modular synthesizer. And we're just going to like have a big blob of synth sounds. Uh-huh. But that wasn't what i wanted to do with it i really wanted to make it like a nashville ambient ensemble and bring in some more signature nashville sounds and like traditional instrumentation anyway i'll get off of the soapbox there and uh talk about Timon. uh Timmon is a friend of mine uh who i've known for a long time really great guy and a close friend and daniel ellsworth and the great lakes are i think they're mostly all belmont guys hmm. so uh definitely shout out to them and I, I definitely feel you know some some bond with them because the band has that like belmont excellence they're like really great at what they do and timmon Timon is an amazing guitar player what i love about timmon's playing is he really brings at least on on the the ensemble album he really brings like that Nashville guitar sound interesting like the
0: intriguing twang,
1: there there is a little twang there but like it's more so like I, I'm not really I don't know much music theory but there are certain phrases that he does that have that like country and just Nashville sound to it so I really really love his contributions to the album I think they made it really special and in one solo in particular on conversion he's so he's the guitar solo at the end of conversion that kind of like definitely ends the song like with a bang and he just kind of he kind of like got on fire at the on that take in the studio and uh it's really an amazing solo so so anyway i think timon brought something that was like purely nashville to the project
0: I mean, an ambient ensemble with the Nashville sound—you <laughs> you couldn't.
1: Yeah, it's not honestly. It's not ambient music, and I feared that like some of the ambient purists out there on Twitter would like slay me when the album comes out, and they very well might. But um, honestly, it's it's not really ambient music, but I called it the ambient ensemble because I think listeners understand. That word, they understand what it means and what they could expect to hear totally from that. Yeah, so
0: oh man, don't let don't let the purists get you down. I mean, you're never gonna win them over ever.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I think for most people it works.
0: Yeah, you know, I have uh, you sent me the record, uh and I intentionally did not listen to it because. I want to be surprised on release day. I want to, like, enjoy you this. You
1: literally haven't listened to it yet?
0: No, I mean, I've listened to the singles that have been released. The two. two tri- oh. But I have... Oh, okay. Wow. I've not listened to the whole thing because, I don't know, I'm, I'm old enough to, like, enjoy this anticipation of when the record hey, is released.
1: You know I really appreciate that, and I'm the exact same way. Like, I, I will pre-order an album on Bandcamp, And even when it comes out, I don't listen to it. I can't certain albums. I, I have to wait.
0: You got to wait. There's, I mean, that's yeah. part of the fun. Everything is such a instant gratification these days, you know, like you really, you don't have to go to the mall to buy the CD. If there's a new album that's out, it's just like in your Spotify immediately. So there's something I like about this, you know, kind of ho- forcefully holding yourself back a little bit for, for that enjoyment, because I still, yeah. there's two songs that are out. I get to hear those like it, right I'm building well, okay, anticipation yeah.
1: okay now you will you will notice Timmins playing uh when when you listen to the rest of the album because I think in contrast to to jack's uh it does have a Timmins does have a very Nashville sound um and i i mean I, I love everything that he does on the album it's uh it's it just sounds great i can't and, wait uh, and one last thing I'll, one last thing I'll say about Timmons, is I really feel like Tim and Jack kind of uh, initiated this project and coming up to me that night at the show that I played uh, Tim and really, really pushed me to, uh, to try it. He, he kind of followed up with me and we got together in like April of 2019 and he was there at the beginning and he was super into the idea. I think he was interested in, in experimenting and, and trying something new. So he, really push me to move forward with the project. So I appreciate that.
0: You might be appreciate the it. executive assistant, but uh, he might be the man yeah. behind the curtain. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's listen to another track. This is actually one from you. I believe uh, Michael Hicks with v- Vico. Is that right?
1: I guess it depends on if you're Italian or not.
0: Well, you, well tell me uh, how to say it. I think
1: Vico, I guess.
0: Vico off of the album Numa. Is that yes. how you say it? All right, cool. Yep. We just heard Michael Hicks with Vico. That's how I'm saying it as a Southerner, born and raised yep, in Nashville. Uh, off of the album Numa, um, I, it's an odd thing to ask you what you bring to the project. But uh, what do you what do you bring to the project? Like, tell me about this song, but also like yeah. in the context of the ensemble. How did you feel musically being in the room with all these people and and mm. what you brought to it?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I brought the synthesizer sounds, the drones and stuff. Cynthia did have uh, some synth sounds as well. Yeah, I, I brought the most of most of the synthesizer sounds. And um, my role in the in the project, well, I wrote most of the pieces, uh, except for Jack's cerulean track. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of, as I said earlier, I'm like the administrative assistant. I c- coordinated everything. But then I was also kind of like the conductor or director or something, mm-hmm. um, nothing really intense. I basically would just, so the structure of the songs were, it was kind of like a jazz or bluegrass structure where we had a, a simple theme or like a drone that would remain constant. And that as the basis for a round of solos. And the arrangement would be, or the score, or whatever, would basically just be a list of order of the solos who was supposed to go next. And in the studio, I would just kind of like call out orders, like lunch orders or something, like who was who was going next. And that was that's kind of my contribution to it. And then I edited, I mixed the album as well. Oh well, wow. yeah. But this track, the track that you just played, that was my last piece of music in the before child era <laughs> and uh what you can hear there was kind of the last phase of what i was doing in new york which was uh solo music very intricately composed meticulously to a fault probably and yeah more of like a, a it's not classical music obviously but more of a classical way of of thinking about
0: composition you have released additional music since that time though, correct?
1: I have I've released um two longer form pieces on Bandcamp. One of them was the it was just a live performance of the last show that I played in New York before leaving, and then another one is something I made here. But on both of those I was starting to experiment a little bit more with improvisation in like more of a long form mm-hmm. setting. Because as I said earlier, I was trying to figure out how I would be able to make music and also be a parent and and everything else. So I was starting to try to work with improvisation and see how that might pan
0: out for me. Yeah, I really wanted to play, uh, what is it, Tinging? Is that the correct title? Yes. Uh, Tinging, is on. I wanted to play that on a previous episode of this show, We Own This Town Music, but it is 21 minutes long, so it's very difficult okay. for me to... Get a twenty-minute song into the show, so I may I may have you to revisit just, pick, and just play an excerpt.
1: You could just pick any random minute,
0: <laughs> just one minute of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe I'll do that, and we'll hear that on a future episode. All right. Well, we got one more track. This is actually UUO, um, which is Cynthia cardenius I think I'm saying her name correctly. And this is I don't know. It might be more of an outlier than. Uh, than the daniel Ellsworth track um but this song is also very long this song is 10 and a half minutes so might not get the whole thing in there but i'll make sure that what we do play is the the gist the part that you need to hear
1: yeah you can't just pick any random minute <laughs>
0: right that was uuo with and i kid you not this is the title the frog moonwalks into the pond read a book and that is the a contributing member of the nashville Ambient ensemble uh cynthia cardenas i i think i'm kind of speechless as to uh (laughs) i mean i loved it don't get me wrong there's no part of me that did not enjoy that but what what's going on there what is this
1: incredible I, i i I was, so I I met with her one-on-one as we were getting the, as we were about to record the ensemble album. And uh, she said, let me, let me show you this stuff for my band that I'm I'm working on. And she played that 10 minute track and it blew my mind. First of all, she completely slays on the guitar. So I was told, uh, we we like met at a party and I was told that she is an amazing guitar player. But wow like she is like you know virtuosic and uh and then on top of that uh just like the creative arc of that track um and kind of like blending of genres i i was amazed by that when she when she played it to me and uh i i feel like it it needs a proper release there there are other tracks there um anyway i i don't want to step on her toes I'm, i'm not sure what um the plans are, but uh,
0: amazing piece of music. Well, it will it will be linked in the episode description for this episode. And if the ten and a half minute didn't make it into this cut, please do yourself a favor and go listen to the entire thing, top to bottom. It is a marvel. It is so good, and and the idea that this is that, that a virtuoso like that uh, contributes into this project is just more. Um, I don't know, it's like more acknowledgement that you've put together a group of musicians that are not just like modular synths and everyone doing the same thing. Like this is pulling from so many different places.
1: Yeah, that's that's what I like about this project. It became something where you didn't have to be an expert on the scene to be a part of it. And it turned into a space where... Any, any of these people could bring their talents, and those were wanted and welcomed there. Uh, it w- it became a very open environment uh, of making the album. We all worked together really well. Yeah, I, I just like that, like you said, it it wasn't just a bunch of people on synthesizers. It was more so just a space where several people could create something something different well one more thing I want to say about Cynthia, Cynthia yeah Cynthia and I met and uh, I told her about the ensemble and um, I think I was just, this was at a party and I was like well do you want to be in it <laughs> and she was like yeah for, for sure uh, and then we were like well what will you play and at first we were um, thinking that she would play bass uh, but when we started to practice that wasn't it just wasn't fitting in. So she said, I have this like guitar synth thing Mm. and let me, let me bring that. And Oh boy, that was so awesome. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I I keep forgetting that you haven't heard the whole album yet, but she, let's see. Oh yeah. You really haven't even heard her playing very much yet on Inga, the second track, Mm -hmm. she has an incredible solo at the end. It's just like so heartfelt and, but this really like kind of, mutant like synthetic string sound it's so it's so awesome she brought something really really uh unique and kind of left field sounds to the album yeah i I really love what what she does on it.
0: uh you had me at guitar synth (laughs) that's all i needed to hear
1: yeah she literally had like this rack synthesizer and like a midi guitar plugged up to it
0: Incredible. So I think the last thing that we want to play, as we uh, you don't you don't need to comment on this, uh, we're just going to play the episode out with a uh, with a track from the the Nashville Ambient Ensemble. I think it probably makes sense to take us out with coda. It's one there of the go. tracks that's out. It's the last track on the album. I really appreciate you talking to me about all of this. If there's anything you want to add, um, I'm gonna uh, at the end of this, I will tell people where to find the Nashville Ambient Ensemble. It's obviously linked in the episode description. All of your social media will be linked as well for everyone to follow you. I'm just really excited to see this kind of collaboration happening on something that's this unique and interesting. I'm just, I can't thank you enough for being a part of putting all this together.
1: Well, thank you so much. And uh, I, I greatly appreciate your support of the music and and you've, and you've supported my, my music personally uh, in, in the last year, I greatly appreciate it uh, and your enthusiasm and kind words about it. And um, on top of that, I really appreciate the service that you give to Nashville in opening people's ears to new music that's being made here and in turn supporting all kinds of artists uh, in Nashville so it's not lost on me I know it's a lot of work and uh, I really appreciate it and I, I love what you're doing and then yeah, yeah thanks so much for being willing to take the time to talk to me about this album
0: absolutely it's been a blast really appreciate it
1: I've enjoyed it too thanks so much
0: Alright everybody, that's our show. Many, many, many thanks to Michael Hicks for taking the time to talk to me about the Nashville Ambient Ensemble project. I've had my pre-order in for the record for some time, and this whole experience has got me even more excited for it to be released. If you need reminding, again, it's all out on some Force Records on Friday, March 19th, 2021. Links to pre-order it or order it, depending on when you listen to this at Grimey's or on Bandcamp are in the episode description, along with links to all of the musicians that are involved with the Ambient Ensemble. Definitely check all of them out. You will want to be clued in to everything that they're doing. It's a great idea. We'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming on the next episode, but I do plan on doing more interview episodes in the coming weeks. It's it's fun. I hope you're liking it. Find us at We Own This Town on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and you'll get updates about all the new episodes from all of our We Own This Town shows. Visit our site, weownthistown.net, sign the mailing list. I said it at the top, I'm going to say it at the bottom. This thing only keeps going if we keep growing it, so please subscribe. Many thanks to Upright T-Rex Music for the music playing underneath me right now. Find them at uprighttrexmusic.com. Take care of yourself. Keep wearing a mask. Keep watching that vaccine news. And I'll talk at you soon. Boop.